Hi, I'm Paolo, and this is Programming for Founders. Thanks for joining us. So what's Programming for Founders? Guys, if you're a founder or an entrepreneur or you're an innovator or a creative and you have an idea for an app that you think could improve your community, your business, uh, your life, the world, um, but you don't know how to get it started, you don't have lots of capital lying around, you don't have any investors, you don't have a, a tech person or a CTO, or you don't know any developers, and you just don't know where to start, then programming for founders is for you. It's going to help you understand the following core premise. You can build an MVP or a prototype of your app yourself. And you can do it in three to four weeks. Three to four weeks for a prototype, six to eight weeks for an MVP. How? How is this possible? I don't even know anything about you. But I do know a lot about the landscape of the tech world and the programming world. I'm a founder. Um, I'm a founder of uh, a couple of companies. Uh, I have several platforms out there. And I started off as somebody who didn't know how to program. I had no idea where to start when I wanted to get my uh, app off the ground. So a little bit of quick history. I did work at a legal tech company a long time ago, uh, well before legal tech was um, sort of even a thing or a, a phrase that you could say to anyone and it would mean anything. But nonetheless, I was working in a small company. We were a legal tech company and we didn't know we were a legal tech company. We started off as more sort of a traditional uh, legal information company and we evolved into a legal tech company. And along the way, I worked with a bunch of developers who totally, totally sucked. Now, there were several reasons they sucked, and some of it wasn't their fault, and some of it was their fault. Uh, the world 12 to 15 years ago was very, very different than it was today. Um, there were not the open source libraries there were today. There, there were not the tools available, um, and, and the internet wasn't where it was, and there was no app store, and there were no iPhones, and so people thought about tech differently. But I had this experience where I worked with people and it was an absolute nightmare. And I mean, total nightmare to get our app off the ground. And it took, you know, over a year to get the thing built that we wanted to build. The thing we built was kind of uh, an MVP slash prototype. Um, we were lucky that we were working on something that was entirely uh, a backend process, which just means that, you know, users uh, outside our company didn't need to, to use it. There were only a couple of people in our company that were going to use this tool, uh, a very powerful tool, but the customers didn't need to see it or know about it. And, you know, we, we struggled immensely to get this thing built because the developers we were using um, just kept saying, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. And we can't do this and we can't do that. We don't know how to do this and we don't know how to do that. And part of it, again, was because of the, where the tech world was. And part of it was just because they weren't any good. And part of it was because I, as, as you know, I wasn't the founder of the company at the time, but as the person driving the project, didn't know enough about the tech world to advance it uh, as well as I could. And something funny happened along the way. I started to learn some of the terminology. I started to learn some of the design choices. I started to learn some of the options. I didn't learn how to code. I didn't even learn how to program. But I did learn a little bit about the language. And that opened up the possibility to be able to communicate with the developers. And lo and behold, we actually advanced the project, got it to market, sold our company on the basis of that technology to uh, Thomson Reuters. And I took a few years off and decided to found a company called Codify. Now, this podcast is definitely not about Codify. I will mention it from time to time. All I want to mention it for is to say it was another legal tech company, and I had a much, much more ambitious project. So the problem is, I didn't know how to get it built. I did talk to some developers. Uh, I did talk to some dev shops. And after a lot of discussion, um, 
and uh, some fundraising, I found some people, well, not, sorry, not fundraising in the traditional sense of seed and so on and so forth. I mean, my wife and I got together some, some initial funds, a, a, a decent chunk of money out of our uh, savings and so on. And we, and we basically hired some developers to build uh, our app. Guess what? It went really, really, really badly. Uh, the people we hired, even though the lead guy had 15, uh, 20 years of experience, uh, grossly oversold his abilities. He actually lied about his abilities. He said he could do a lot more than he could. And, you know, he couldn't build this thing. So I found myself uh, eventually having difficult conversations with this guy uh, where, you know, I was trying to flush out what he could and couldn't do. And after, you know, six or seven months of really hard work, it was clear that most of what he'd written was junk. And I wasn't certain about it. But because he knew he was on the verge of being fired, he ended up basically stealing the code, uh, shutting me out and not giving me access to my own servers and blackmailed me for money. This was a, a horrible experience. Um, some point in the future on a subsequent podcast, I'll go into a little bit more detail about this. But suffice it to say, it was a crippling experience. And I actually spent more time managing my rage for the next couple of months uh, than, than anything else. I've never been so angry about anything in my life. Um, but instead of, you know, being a suck about it and, and feeling defeated, I, I, even as I was incredibly angry, I started thinking about, and I did eventually get the code, by the way, uh, despite being blackmailed uh, as a, a story for another day, but uh, I realized it was total junk and couldn't use it. So I ended up hiring uh, a different set of developers, uh, even more expensive. Um, and, you know, we, we spent a lot of time uh, scoping out the project, seeing what we would and wouldn't do, keeping it to a bare minimum, uh, more than a prototype, but, but really a really stripped down MVP and went through the process all over again. Totally different platform, uh, sorry, totally different framework and, and, and coding language and all this other stuff that we were building in. And again, I had the same experience that I had with the, uh, the first legal tech company and the first round of developers that they had for Codify, namely... Uh, I was working with developers who were uh, months behind, couldn't seem to solve problems that they got stuck on, um, were producing things that were not even close to what we needed. And they, you know, I kept having to get involved. And the more involved I got, uh, the more I learned about the landscape, the more I was able to provide solutions, suggestions. Again, I wasn't programming this, but I was able to say, hey, what about this tool? Or these tools seem to do the following. Or what about this design choice? Or why did you design it like that? And we get into the details. And the more of the uh, the language or the common uh, lingua franca I learned about programming, we were able to have conversations where, you know, suddenly these log jams started moving forward. Um, having said that, it wasn't enough. And I, you know, had another series of absolutely ridiculous experiences, not blackmail. This time I was working with uh, nice enough folks, but this one guy who had built himself as, you know, I mean, not just built himself. He worked with a, a company that also built him as, you know, one of the top dog developers you could possibly find. This guy was a total, total, excuse the language, a total ass clown. He, he, he was, he was, I mean, he was a genius in some respects. There's no doubt about it. But yet, he, the other basic stuff, I mean, he just, complete clown. We had worked really hard on solving something. This one feature took four months to solve. It was a critical feature of the app. Four months. And when we finally had a breakthrough, I said, you must, please, do you have backups? I don't think you have backups of this stuff. Please back everything up. You know, you, we've got to have, uh, we can't afford to lose this work. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll set up uh, uh, backup systems and so on and so forth. Guess what? He accidentally deleted everything in a way that was he couldn't retrieve it. Now, how do you do that? I have no idea. Total, total clown. 
Um, I couldn't believe it. That was that was uh, borderline devastating. And then the other thing he did was he set up a process that was on a loop. Again, you don't need to know anything about programming to know that if a machine runs on a loop, it just keeps doing it over and over and over and over again. This was an expensive process on a cloud server, which meant that we were charging, uh, being charged sort of by the by the second uh, for this for this process. He left it running for something like you know 48 hours before I started getting billings that we were you know approaching ten thousand um, dollars for this service and it was still running and I couldn't cancel it. I didn't know how to do it. Uh, it took me another, the guy disappeared. It took me about 24 hours to contact him and get him to cancel it. Oh, it's just a nightmare. I, I can tell you it, what, I, I never felt anything like it. I went to bed that night knowing that the, 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 the number of dollars and cents, it was like a, a ticker. Imagine a stopwatch where the second is moving, 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 but instead of a, so, a stopwatch, that's a dollar figure. And I went to bed knowing, oh, my God, that thing's still running and I can't stop it. And when I wake up tomorrow, it's going to be some astronomical figure. So these are very quick snap, uh, quick sort of anecdotes or stories about how, you know, how how painful it was for me to work with uh, these very seasoned, very pro developers. Um, and, you know, again, spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time, spent a lot of energy. By now, over a year had gone by uh, with Codify and I'd gotten almost nowhere. And, you know, when this guy deleted all our code, I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't wait. I can't do this again. I can't work with another set of developers. I ended up, you know, firing those guys. And I went to a dev shop, another, uh, this dev shop was highly recommended. And I thought, well, I haven't actually tried working with a dev shop. I asked them, can you build? Now I was getting desperate, not desperate, but I was getting, I was like, I got to get this thing out. I've already sunk all this money and I've spent all this time and energy. Um, I've given up a salary to work here. I believe in my project. I believe that Codify can take off. Um, this is a needed, a needed service. So I, I spoke to this dev shop and I said, look, here's what I want to build as an MVP. Why don't we strip this down even further, just a, kind of a prototype. And we went through it and they stripped my, they stripped my version of a prototype down even to something like less, I don't know, less a prototype than what I thought was really viable. But for the sake of exploring it and finding out how much it would cost and how long it would take to build, I went through the exercise. And at the end of it, they said, okay, this is going to cost $150,000 to build, take 12 weeks. And, you know, we um, afterwards will be charging you roughly $100,000, $120,000 a year just to maintain it and run it um, for you. And that's the thing that I was most worried about. I thought, well, well, you know, after seeing what I've seen with all these developers I've worked with, I know, first of all, we're going to want to expand the app, um, its capabilities and its functionalities. And second, um, I'm going to want somebody to be able to run it. And, you know, I don't want to pay a dev shop indefinitely to do this. So at this point, I thought, you know what, forget it. I'm going to build it myself. Now, I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, I had an inkling. I had, you know, full disclosure here, I had been... Uh, prototyping a little bit myself um, ever since uh, dealing with the uh, bad developers at the legal tech company, um, because I did find that prototyping helped me put stuff in front of developers when they said, I can't do this. I would give them a, a very rough prototype and say, well, if I can, you definitely can. And that usually egged them on or goaded them into uh, you know, being a bit more competitive and, and saying, yeah, if you can do it, then I can do it. And, and lo and behold, they would actually get something done. Now, having said that, um, the prototyping in no way was going to be enough to get me to to build what I actually needed to build. And I had a really sticky situation. Um, I had, while been waiting for this app, and, and at the time that I believed that we were going to get an app built, I had been going around uh, doing some market validation or testing my product with customers. So I talked to some people about it. And uh, by people, I mean... Um, 
a couple of law firms and a couple of companies. One law firm in particular um, said that they, you know, were very, very interested uh, in in basically funding us uh, to build this app. Now, you know, this was the course of uh, a few weeks worth of discussion, but it was the ultimate market validation. They said, we, re- we know you don't have a product yet. Uh, we hear what you're doing. Uh, we see what you've started. And we'd like to basically, you know, give you a lot of money to finish um, to make sure you you succeed in building it. And when you finish building it, you know, we'll buy it from you. So, and they said, we'd actually tried to build this this app ourselves. And guess what? We got nowhere. We hired a bunch of developers and they sucked and they couldn't build what we needed. And so we, we were on the verge of giving up. And they said, so if you're doing exactly what we want to do anyway, uh, you're already further ahead. So so maybe we'll just, we'll fund you. And and by fund, I didn't mean equity. So I thought this is great. And I had this really key meeting. This is, you know, all these meetings had already happened. And we were kind of heading into a um, showtime for, for a, you know, a working prototype that we would then all collectively work on every week. You got to keep in mind, these, this, this law firm was giving me their top people of experts uh, to work on this. We needed to be at a stage where it wasn't going to waste anyone's time. So we agreed that we were going to reconvene and, so, you know, uh, like 12 weeks or 10 weeks and, and present this prototype and, uh, and see if it was enough to, you know, actually sign the deal and move forward. So th- there was a tremendous opportunity here, but then all this stuff happened with the developers and I had to throw the app in the garbage. It was so stressful. And I said, you know what, I'm going to build this prototype myself. Uh, I need to believe that no matter what else happens uh, with, you know, developers or relying on other people, I got to know that I can at least advance this far enough that it's not a waste of their time. And that if we sign the deal, we'll find a way to get this thing done. So, you know, at this point, um, my colleagues, I had, I had a couple of people working with me um, at the startup, uh, my wife, uh, my friends, they, they, they all, all, not one person didn't say this. They all said, you're crazy. You're totally crazy. What are you talking about? You're going to build this. You can't go build this. You know, yeah, you're a smart guy and this and that and the other, but come on, you can't, you, you can't build this. This is nuts. And, uh, you know, some people said maybe you should give up and maybe this thing's too hard to build. And no, I didn't listen to any of this. Uh, even my wife uh, hammered me daily. No, you can't build this. I don't support this. Uh, this isn't going to work on and on and on. So, you know what? I just went out and I, I thought this is doable. And I had been searching and searching and searching and obsessing over finding tools that would help accelerate this process. This had already started, by the way, when working with these developers, because one of the good things about the developer, one of the developers that I did work, the guy who deleted uh, all our code by accident. uh, One thing he did teach me uh, that really stuck with me was, you know, don't build if don't build yourself or don't build a tool from scratch if there's already something out there that can do it for you, that you can integrate. Sounds obvious. But especially now with, with the availability of apps, but, you know, four years ago or four and a half years ago, the app world wasn't what it was today. There, there were apps, obviously, but now it's getting to the point where when there's something you need to do or a piece of your app or a functionality, there probably is a tool out there. And furthermore, there's probably a tool that's either free or to get started or some very, very, very uh, inexpensive monthly rate, like seven bucks a month or 12 bucks a month uh, to use their technology. And, and in a lot of cases, it's incredibly powerful. So I was out there looking for these tools. How do I get this started? How do I get this started? I had lots of phone calls with people. There were some people with phone calls that were telling me, yeah, it's $150,000 for this, $150,000 for that. And then there were other people who were really helpful along the way. And I remember this one conversation with this guy. I needed I needed a lot of data. I needed a lot of data for my app. It's a legal app. It deals with legal information. And I needed to ingest or, or, or you know, get that data into my app before it could even start. Um, 
And we were talking about, you know, he, his company could help me do that. And he had quoted me $150,000. And to his credit, when I told him what I needed it to do after, you know, getting the data in, and I said, I can't afford $150,000 right now. And, you know, we're just not at a stage and I've already spent this money on developers who suck and I'm looking for a cheaper way. To his credit, he pointed me in the direction of one or two tools that hadn't really been on my radar at that point. And this kind of opened up a world for me um, where I realized, you know what, I can prototype this and I can build something in real time. And I'm you know, going to get this thing done for this meeting and I'm going to get that deal. So what were these tools? This is where we get into something called the no-code revolution. The no-code revolution or the codeless movement, and that's a pun, code, it's not actually codeless always, but it's less code to the point of being codeless. There's a movement afoot, a revolution afoot, where the programmers, the programmers and the developers who are used to doing the disrupting, we're used to waking up and finding that Netflix has taken over the world or Facebook has taken over the world or, you know, all these new tech companies are, are, are coming out of nowhere and dominating a space that was previously dominated by some bricks and mortar um, retail outlet. All of these developers are used to disrupting the world. But at this point, the developer world is itself being disrupted. Disruption is disrupting the developers. And what's happening is there are these incredible tools coming out that are helping everyday ordinary people with very, very basic technical skills. And by basic technical skills, I mean, you know, can you use an Excel spreadsheet? And if you can use an Excel spreadsheet, you're probably, you're not probably, you're technically savvy enough to, to, to build an app uh, prototype or build an app MVP, 100%. Um, these tools are really powerful uh, app builders. There's no one one tool that's going to do everything for you, but it is getting to the point where some of these tools will do 90% of it for you. And then you'll go and find the other ones that need to plug in or slot into your app uh, to, to round it out and finish off the features you want. It's an incredible phenomenon. And when I started uh, you know, getting involved in this about four years ago, it, it was already underway, but in the four years since, it's ex it's exploding. It's exploding and it's gotten to, you know, the point where these tools are no longer just useful for prototyping or building MVPs. You can actually build a production-ready app on it. Uh, and we'll get into that in subsequent um, subsequent podcast series and so on. Right now, we're focused on building a prototype or MVP, but I do want to flag for you that these tools, these are not dinky tools. These are tools that now, when you put in the hands of a developer, they can build an MVP in you know a couple of days because it's it's allowing them to do the things they do with traditional tools, but, it, but at warp speed, warp speed. Um, there's so many powerful things about it. So let, let me give you a, jump in and give you a very quick sketch of what I'm talking about. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about Weebly or Wix or Squarespace or even Shopify. There are these these apps, uh, these or WordPress. I'm sure you've heard about WordPress. These apps that sort of let you do drag and drop uh, web page building. So imagine, uh, I'm not confusing this with an app. Don't worry. I'm just using it as an example. If you're at all familiar with these, the way it works is you've got this, this kind of a blank screen. Sometimes you have a, a template uh, that's a web page that's already made that you just modify and, and change the text on. But let's say even you take a blank page on the, you know, the main part of the screen is a big white canvas. And on the left are these kind of these widgets. There might be um, a, 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 an image holder or an image placeholder, or there's a text box, or there's a button or you know, there's a headline. And you basically grab one of these with your mouse on the left and you drag it and drop it onto the white canvas. So you might drag a headline and you might be like, you know, this is the programming for founders website. And then you might grab a big uh, 
image holder or place a container that holds a picture. You drag that onto the screen and then you stick a picture in it. And then you might put a button underneath that says, you know, get started. And you might say, when somebody presses get started, you know, open up a form that lets somebody enter their their name uh, and email address and this sort of thing. So you can build, you know, th these things have existed for a while. These things that you can build a, a, a web page. Imagine that. Imagine that kind of functionality for building your entire app. And, and, and when I say app, right now I'm talking about a web app, an app that would live on the internet. Um, there are also tools like this that, that you can build a real, like a, a, mo a native mobile app, something that you would sell in the Apple App Store or you know in the Google App Store. But I'm not talking about those right now. I'm t there are equivalent tools, but in this podcast series, I'm talking about building a web app or, or building an app that lives on the internet. Um, that you can put a, you know, a login in on and subscription and, and all this sort of stuff. So it's a great way to get started. And if you get traction, you can, you can then move to mobile. And again, we'll talk about mobile in subsequent uh, podcast series. So, but a lot of the, the things I'm saying here apply uh, to mobile app building just as much as they do to, to web app building. So imagine a drag and drop builder where now you're dragging and dropping stuff, but instead of just putting a headline or an image or, or you know, buttons and so on that just, you know, ask for people to enter an email. Imagine now you're putting in buttons that when they click on it, you know, it changes your user profile or it adds, you know, data or something, adds something to your personal news feed, or let's say you're making, um, uh, uh, a currency app, a Bitcoin app, um, you know, you can build an app that lets people, you know, trade or, or uh, add uh, Bitcoin to their account or subtract it or cash out. And, and uh, you know, you can let uh, people share, um, you know, information or add text or post uh, on a web page and do all, all the kinds of functionality that you're used to seeing um, in, in various web apps. You can build that with a drag and drop builder. And imagine being able to put commands in, like you, you, I'm sure, you know, if, if you know anything about computers, you know, it's all about programming and entering these commands. And a lot of those commands are in this ugly green, black and white console uh, with horrible looking text and code and language that you can't possibly understand. I, I, imagine instead of all that, you're putting in commands in almost plain language. Hey, when somebody presses the button, do this. When somebody scrolls down the page, you know, do this. Imagine using that kind of language because that's the kind of language that exists. And, and by the way, you don't even have to type it even, and this is a bit hard to describe over a podcast, but imagine that basically even building your commands is done with your mouse point and click from options. So power, and, and it might sound limited to you. It's not, it's so powerful. There are tools out there that can help you build what you need uh, in, 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 in weeks and, and, and actually see stuff come together instantly. Like I, when I say weeks, I mean something to put in front of people and raise, you know, raise seed money on, uh, like to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars on the basis of your app to go get users actually using it, signing up and using it to get users actually paying for your app. That's what I mean by basically, uh, an MVP. And even your prototype is enough to potentially, uh, raise, uh, raise funds on if, if that's something you want to do. So when I say a few weeks, I don't mean it's going to be weeks before you see anything. The awesome thing about using these no code tools is that it's instant gratification. You drag, you know, uh, some text on the page, some buttons, uh, maybe a, a table of data. And, and, and you can do that in like, you know, less than a minute. 
and you can preview it and you can start playing with it and see how it feels in literally less than a minute. There's no code provisioning. You don't need a server. You don't need to worry about any of that. These tools handle all of it for you. You literally focus 100% on building your stuff and pressing preview and start testing. It's the ultimate instant gratification. And it is so exhilarating because you immediately start to get the reward and the feedback of, wow, I'm building something. I can actually do this. And and within like an hour or two, you might have something that like you, you feel looks pretty cool. So... I want to stress to you that these tools, you, you might get out there and you, you know, people who don't, you know, aren't familiar with this world might, 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 I don't know, some people have different reactions. I think it's getting to the point, there was a time where if you said that you're going to use no code tools, if anyone knew about it, they'd be like, yeah, well, they're not powerful enough to do this and the other. Trust me. Uh, I am a programmer, or, you know, quote unquote, a real programmer. I use, you know, I use all the traditional tools and frameworks um, that a developer, uh, a very seasoned developer who knows nothing about the no-code movement uh, would use. I use all those tools as well, okay? I don't use either just no-code or these other tools, uh, but that's because my my app is in, you know, sort of heading into year five. Uh, there's some stuff that, that you know, I do on developer frameworks at this point that, that helps me uh, develop at, uh, the way I need to develop. But I'm telling you that the no code movement has evolved to the point where I'm starting to shift some of the stuff that I build on traditional developer frameworks off and rebuild it on the no code tool very quickly and start building um, new features and new apps uh, on there. I'm certainly prototyping and 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 building uh, new features uh, that we put in front of customers uh, with these no code tools because it's, it's so fast and it's so powerful. And I think it's getting to the point where a lot of these older traditional developer tools are going to go the way of the dodo. They're going to go by the wayside. They're going to be replaced and displaced by these. And even some of the biggest vendors are now getting into this. Amazon and Amazon, I don't know if you know this, Amazon actually has a very, very big presence in cloud computing and offering developer tools. They are working on a no-code product. Google has one. Microsoft has one. Microsoft has something called Microsoft Azure and Microsoft Flow. They're incredible tools. I'll talk about Microsoft Flow. Uh, later. Um, these are the biggest, you know, software vendors in the game, and they have really, really heavily invested in no code because they know it's the future. And they know that this can help everyday folks such as yourself get busy building, uh, building the apps uh, that our world needs and that you need to see uh, come, come to fruition and get out there in the world. So it's an incredibly exciting movement. And, and, and I think no code revolution um, you know, sort of sums it up. This is a revolution. It's a revolution that isn't just going to affect programming. It's going to affect business. It's going to affect our economy. It's going to figure, affect how people approach uh, problem solving. I mean, it's going to get to the point where, you know, you're like citizen, there's a term out there, citizen development. I don't care for the term, but I, I know what it means. Citizen development is the notion that like everyday citizens are going to be out there developing developer as developers because this stuff is becoming so easy. It's going to be like having a printer. You know, it used to be that, you know, a very long time ago, I don't know, you know, maybe 30, 30, 40 years ago, uh, you know, most people didn't have a printer uh, 45 years ago. Um, and then it got to the point where, you know, everyone has a printer. Um, it's kind of it's kind of the same thing. I, I think it's going to be at the point where everyone is doing some of this development work because it isn't going to look anything like current development. It's so it's getting so easy. So, you know, let me give you another another example. Um, there's a tool out there and it's called, it's called Zapier, Zapier. 
And it's this tool that is incredible for prototyping. It's just amazing. Imagine you need your app to do something behind the scenes. So you're working on this front end, you know, or, or user interface, the thing that users are going to click on. And you make this button and you're like, okay, when somebody clicks this button, um, you know, I want it to, you know, um, add, uh, add an order um, to, to their, to, sorry, to, the, to their account. So I, I wanted to, to, to process an order. So there's a number of things that would have to happen there. You might want to send them a receipt. Uh, you want, might want to notify yourself or your own company um, that this order has been placed. Uh, you're going to want to have it go to shipping so that shipping can, if it's a, a physical product, can send it out. You might want to have uh, the order go into your accounting or your QuickBooks um, and so on. And so what you can do is go to this tool, Zapier, and Zapier lets you, with a point and click of your mouse, lets you connect or string together a series of events. It's like those old dominoes where you're like, you know, you see those dominoes where like people stack them all like a hundred dominoes up, stand them on edge all in a row. And then they knock one down and the first one knocks the second one down and the second one knocks the third down until, you know, uh, it just starts running along and, and one isn't falling down one after the other until all hundred are falling down. It's like that. You're building that with Zapier. So the first thing you do is you say, okay, well, when the button is pressed, you know, that's called a trigger. And you're like, okay, when the trigger of this workflow happens, the Zapier workflow, do the following, uh, send the person an email uh, and have the following content in the email and you make a, a receipt and, and the receipt, you know, isn't static. It's, it's, it's dynamically populated. It, it automatically fills with how much money they spent and information like when their order is going to be, you know, received, or if it's a digital product, where, what link they can use to go download their product right away and this sort of stuff. And then the next thing is, you know, step two of the workflow will be, you know, add the following information to my, my QuickBooks or my FreshBooks. Um, and, you know, option three will be, you know, uh, let the inventory team know that another another unit has been shipped, uh, and so on. And this is this is something that's done in in real time. And you can build a Zapier workflow like this in in like you know maybe the first time you ever use it. Maybe it's an hour, or an hour and a half because you don't know you know you're figuring some stuff out along the way. And when you get proficient at it, you can build a workflow like this in literally under a minute. Imagine that. So you're you're basically now starting to create a series of, of uh, microservices or mini workflows that when anybody presses the button, you know, do the following. Um, when somebody scrolls down the page, do the following. So this is this is kind of the, the business is, you know, what you call the back end. Now, back end sounds like a really big fancy term. And when developers talk about it, they say, you know, oh, you got to build the back end and what kind of framework are you using and all this stuff. Basically, when you're prototyping or building your MVP, Zapier totally does away with that. You don't need any of that. Your back, your quote unquote, your back end is a free drag and drop builder that lets you like build the stuff uh, immediately. And by the way, another really cool thing about Zapier is they work with other companies to make this process really simple. So they go to all these different companies, all these different cool apps like Google Sheets, for example, is part of Zapier. If you want your information to go automatically into a Google Sheet so that you have a record of all your info. You, you know, you can, you can, you know, a step four on your Zapier workflow, you can say, hey, click, you know, after the third step is done, send the info to Google Sheets and stick the dollar amount in column A, stick the person's name in column B, and stick the shipping date in column C, and you're done. And because Google and Zapier have worked together, um, it, it's this incredibly easy 
point-and-click interface. I, I, I mean, you got to see it to believe it. It's so go look it up. Zapier.com. It's so it's Z-A-P-I-E-R. I don't work with any of these companies. I don't have any affiliations with them. I'm an enthusiast who wants you to build your app in real time. I am obsessed with finding the best tools. Zapier is not the only tool. I'll talk about other ones in a minute. I'll throw one out there right now. Microsoft Flow. Yeah, Microsoft. You know, I used to loathe Microsoft products. Absolutely loathe them. They are crushing it and knocking it out of the park with some of their products. I cannot tell you how good the Azure platform is. Microsoft Flow is incredible. Uh, it is more difficult to use than Zapier, but it's also far, far more powerful. Zapier is amazing, by the way. For prototyping an MVP, you're going to be able to do what you need to do. When you get into production level apps and, and real complexity and you get some crazy user feedback about some things you need to do that you never really you know, dreamed were possible, uh, you might want to rely on something like Microsoft Flow. Again, I'm not touting any of these products. I'm trying to help you you find the best ones to build your app in real time, which you can absolutely do with some dedication and effort um, and, and some willingness to, to explore these tools. I'm telling you, it's an absolute revolution. What Not just what is happening, what has already happened. The developer world is being disrupted, and this is your opportunity. You do not need to work with developers. Developers are painful. They are overpriced. They will uh, nine out of 10 times be way, way over budget, both uh, dollar wise and time wise. And worse, you won't have the ability to tell if what they're doing is good work. Uh, another quick story about this. If you think you're making progress, you might not be. So one of the things I saw was that it looked like we were building, pro uh, making progress uh, on the first app build we were doing uh, with the guy who blackmailed me. It, but but six months in, progress ground to a halt, and then we weren't moving. And it became clear as we dug into why that the very foundation of his assumptions, the very foundation of his approach, the very foundation of the framework he had chosen to build this thing on wasn't able or capable or well-suited to build the rest of our app. So it's like you don't realize it. You might be making progress, but at the same time, you might be painting yourself into a corner if the wrong framework has been picked. And if you don't know anything about these frameworks and you don't know anything about the, the you know, the solutions that are, or the tools they're using or even the language they're using to solve these problems, you're not going to be in a position to figure out whether or not um, this thing is going to help you actually get your app to market. And another quick point on that. Developers love to say, you know, I saw a shirt once that said, I, I code you know, on a, on a developer. And I was like, oh my God, who cares if you code? Can you program? You know, the problem with being able to string some lines of code together or even a, a whole bunch of them is that it makes you look like a programmer, but being able to program is actually thinking about design, about how things work together, about whether something works as a system. It has nothing to do with the code. The code is the syntax. The code is the implementation. The code is the language. The code is just, are you speaking in English or French or German? It's the concepts and what are you conveying and what is the message that is true across all languages, right? The language is just the form it appears in. Same with computer programming. If you're using, you know, uh, this, is, this is a little bit of an oversimplification, but if you're using, you know, JavaScript versus Python versus C Sharp, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, it, it matters a little bit, just like it sometimes matters whether you're using German and English, French. Sometimes the Germans might have a word for something that the English don't. But on the whole, you, you know, the language doesn't matter that much. You can still convey the same content. And, and it's the same with computer programming. The problem with computer programming is, you know, it's the equivalent of somebody coming along and saying, oh, you know, I speak, you know, uh, some language that you think is, is hard to learn. Let's say you're an English speaker and somebody says, well, you know, I speak Mandarin. 
you're like, wow, I don't speak Mandarin. That 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 impresses me. It must be hard to learn Mandarin. Um, if you know how to do Mandarin, I have this thing that needs to be written in Mandarin. Can you do it? And they say, oh, yeah, I can do it. I'm a, I'm a super pro Mandarin speaker. And they go on and on about how great they are at Mandarin. And then they go out and they, and they do this stuff. And then, and then it turns out years later, you learn Mandarin. And you look back at the work that they were saying that was, they were so amazing at. And it turns out that, you know, they were saying they're like university level Mandarin speakers. But it turns out they're actually speaking it at a grade one or two level. But you didn't know that because you didn't speak any Mandarin. You're going to see that all the time in the developer world. There's all these people out there saying they're developers and they don't know anything. They're, they're, they're looking stuff up on Google every day about how to solve a problem. They're going to sites like Stack Exchange and other pro, other websites where developers go. Don't get me wrong. These are amazing websites and, and they should exist and, and, and they're an incredible resource. But some people are, are then like it's like a con game. They're saying, oh, yeah, I'm a developer. And they're saying that because they can get paid a whole ton of money. And you, as a founder, I'm telling you, you have no recourse when things go sideways. You know, my wife's a lawyer. Uh, all my friends are lawyers. I went to law school. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, there's nothing we could do about how badly screwed we got with these developers. Uh, we ended up, you know, even even knowing everyone we know, like there was no way to to solve even the blackmail problem. Uh, you know, like I told you, we ended up getting the code because we did engage in a legal process, but. Uh, even that costs a, a lot of, you know, I get into it in another session. It costs too much money. And when it looked like it might go to litigation, we, both, we all knew it was not going to go to litigation. It wasn't worth litigating. We would have spent like $100,000 at least on litigating the thing, going to court. You're not going to do that as a startup. You know, if a developer screws you over, the reality is you're just screwed over. Uh, the, the, the legal world does not work for startups and for developers. Uh, just a sad fact, um, in my opinion. And I don't think, and I, I've seen a lot of other people, a lot of other founders. Uh, I mean, I'm part of a, a very large founder network and founder community. I know a lot of founders who've been through what I went through. My story in no way is, is in no way is it, uh, a, you know, a really bad story or, or one of the worst stories. It's a bad story by, you know, any, any standard of, of, you know, what you usually hear on the street. But in the founder or developer world, yeah, this is common. I, I know all sorts of people that have been screwed over by developers in various ways, sometimes because the developers are malicious, sometimes because they're not malicious, but they're just incompetent or they're, you know, well, whatever, all, all these sorts of things. Take the power in your own hands. The opportunity exists to build your own app and you can do this. So what I want you to know is that there are drag and drop, no code tools out there that are so powerful that are even getting to the point where they're as powerful or in some cases, I would say more powerful than traditional developer tools. I'll quickly give you an example of how it's more powerful. I remember asking years ago, hey, can we find, is there such a thing as like a, a flowchart programmer? Because one of the things about programming, once you start doing some more complicated stuff, it can be very difficult to visualize, you know, what piece is touching what? Like, you know, is part A touching part B or does part A only touch part C? And you're, you're diagramming all this stuff out anyway to keep records of, of what the design of, of, you know, the complex functionalities of your apps are. But, you know, then you have to go translate it into this flat code structure. So I would go around asking if there's flowchart programming. At the time, there wasn't. Well, Zapier is sort of as flowchart oriented. And Microsoft Flow is, is definitely flowchart oriented. You're actually programming using a flowchart. Imagine that. You flowchart. Anyone can use a flowchart. You, you diagram. I mean, who, who hasn't done a flowchart at some point in their life? Hey, when something happens, you know, if, if, if. You know, somebody says, yes, you do the following things. If somebody says no, then you draw out, you know, the other part of the flowchart. That kind of programming is actually available now under something called Microsoft Flow. 
and Azure Logic Apps. And it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It's not the only tool, by the way. There are other other tools that have some uh, flowchart programming. It's becoming more and more popular because it's just it's just such it's it's the way you have to conceptualize the stuff anyway. So why not let the machine be programmed that way? So this is running into uh, about 40 minutes here. We're probably covered enough ground for the first uh, episode of of, uh, of of this podcast series. What I want to what I want to emphasize is besides the fact that you can build this prototype or MVP yourself, a prototype in three to four weeks and, a, and an MVP in six to eight weeks yourself as a founder. I've, I've highlighted some of the benefits. You're going to save money. You're going to save frustration, not having to deal with developers. You're going to be independent, self-reliant. You're going to be able to build something that if it's good enough, you know, and if the concept's good enough, you can raise money on, you can get users on, uh, get feedback for, and get your company uh, really off the ground and launched. You're probably going to love it. I, I, I can't tell you, you know, I've done a number of things in my life. I went to law school. I was, you know, a grad, uh, of, uh, you know, I did grad school uh, for philosophy. Um, I've done uh, some things and, and I loved those things. Programming is incredible. It's the most, it's the most exciting thing I've ever done. It's empowering. Uh, you never have to argue with anyone. You just kind of build stuff and it either works or it doesn't. The machine never lies. Can you get it to work or not? It's an incredibly gratifying thing to see your ideas come to life. Uh, and you don't have to persuade anyone. You just build a thing and then you put it in front of people and they either like it and use it or they don't. And if they don't, you continue to tweak it until they do. And when they do, you realize you built something great. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The tools continue to improve. The tools get better every day. The no-code movement is taking off. And this, you, you can save hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not exaggerating. Hundreds of thousands of dollars in the short term. And, and I can't even predict how much money you save in the long term. You will save uh, months and possibly even years of work. And better yet, you'll actually get your, your stuff off the ground instead of quitting, as a, a lot of people do when they get discouraged about how hard it is to work with developers to get their app built. So with that, I just want to quickly flag for you what is coming down the pipeline. In subsequent shows in this podcast, we are going to cover how do you actually get started? What are the tools? Where do you start? What are the advantages? What are the pros? What are the cons? You know, might, why might you want to use this tool over that tool? Um, I'll have uh, references for you to be able to go look stuff up online yourself. Um, and, and we're going to cover also, um, you know, three major components. What is the front end? The front end is just simply the thing that users see and use, the buttons they press, uh, the data they see on the screen, the information they see, their user profile, all that, that's the user interface, the front end. We're going to talk about how to do that in real time. And then we're going to talk about the back end and how to connect your front end to the back end. We've already talked about the back end. Sounds complicated. It isn't. It's just the business logic. Flowchart programming. Zapier. Go look up Zapier. You'll see what I'm talking about. Zapier.com. Look it up before the next podcast and you'll see how easy some of this stuff can be. You can get a free account to start pulling around with it and get started. Uh, it's a really good site. It's simple. Um, I'll be posting uh, resources and subsequent uh, podcasts up on our website so that you can see um, actual videos and so on of how to get started. And uh, in the in, in, in subsequent parts of the series, finally, we'll, um, we'll so we're talking about the front end, uh, the back end, and uh, and I think we might touch on we're going to briefly touch on APIs. Um, APIs uh, too complicated to get in here now. They're not actually that difficult, but I will say they're, they're the way that you can get machines to talk to other machines and do some pretty incredible things. Um, there are ways to use those uh, APIs um, pretty effortlessly and painlessly. They're probably the hardest piece of this. They sound complicated. You don't need APIs 
probably for you. You might need it for your prototype um, or your MVP. You probably don't. Uh, depends on the, what app you're building, which is why we may or may not cover it in this series. The final piece, though, that we are going to cover is data and databases. Here's the silly thing about databases. If you can believe this, the standard for databases is actually um, CRUD. That's right, C-R-U-D. It's an acronym. Um, you know, create, uh, I think the R is reuse, I can't remember, uh, and, and D is destroy. Whatever the acronym actually stands for, in my mind, it's always just stood for, it's CRUD. It's just pure CRUD. Don't use a database. You certainly don't need it for, I don't think you actually need it for a production app at this point, unless you have a really, really, you know, data intensive, like million, million or more pieces of information in your database. If you have far less information than that, you can actually use Google Sheets or a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet as your database. Uh, it will live on the cloud. It will live on the internet, not on your personal computer, but on the internet. You will connect your app to that spreadsheet and it will literally be your database, not just to store stuff, but retrieve stuff in real time. There are tools that help you do that. It's incredible. You do not, there are other ones, there's Airtable, there's a bunch of other stuff out there, but really to get started, connect it to Google Sheets or uh, Microsoft Excel, that is your database. So much easier. You know, SQL is one of the more popular databases. Just to use SQL, you need to learn a language, um, you know, and uh, to be able to make what are called queries, which is just a fancy term to like, actually get your data or retrieve your data or read your data or understand what data is in your database, you kind of need to know a language for that. Don't get into any of that. Stay away from databases. Um, even if you eventually move past using Google Sheets uh, as your database, and believe me, I think you can get a long way with that initially. Um, there are other things uh, such as uh, NoSQL or, or table storage. Again, it sounds fancy. It really isn't. It's the easiest thing in the world to use. So I'm going to get into that later uh, in subsequent shows. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have any questions, uh, don't hesitate to uh, post them in the forums and so on. And uh, I look forward to hearing uh, from you and talking to you guys on the next part of this podcast series. Thanks very much for joining us. Talk to you next time.